0: Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 187, Create in Me a Clean Heart. This is one of those lessons that applies to everybody. We know from many passages in the Bible that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not one person that has reached the age of accountability that has not willfully sinned. And we are born with a sin nature, which comes up in today's text. For the last few weeks, we've been walking our way through the story of David and now King David of Israel, and we've seen God do amazing things in and through him and for him. And, and David was a blessed man. He had seen God intervene on his behalf with Saul, with entire armies. And, and David was, as we say back where I'm from, sitting pretty. But sadly, at some point, there was a shift from that David who faced off with Goliath knowing that he couldn't do that in his own power and that he was standing in the power of the Lord of Heaven's armies, to the David that then abused his power and called for Bathsheba, the neighbor's wife, one of his military men, his fighting men's wives, and had sex with her. And we talked about that abuse of power, And how that all came about by David not being where he should have been spiritually, first and foremost, we know that. Not being where he was supposed to be physically, because he was supposed to be in battle, because that's where kings were. So he wasn't where he was supposed to be spiritually, physically, possibly emotionally. And he makes really poor decisions. And so we've been reading through... 2 Samuel 12 for a while, and I'm going to read back through 1 through 12 just to set the stage because our focus is really the first part of 13, and then Psalm 51, which David wrote as a response to what happened in his spirit when Nathan called him on the carpet, and God convicted his heart. So, Let's roll into this and just see what God has in store for us, starting with first 1 in 2 Samuel 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. He will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. And that brings us up to David's response. So as we walk through the remainder of the life of David, which will take us months, I have no doubt about it, we're going to see how God's promise to Like mess with David's household is definitely going to come to bear. No doubt about it. Then we're going to see Solomon, and then we will see the divided kingdom that comes up after Solomon. And we're going to see over and over again where prophets come to the king, whoever the king is of that time, and when they rebuke the king, instead of humbly Pouring their hearts out to God and repenting, in other words, turning. We're going to see them do the exact opposite of what we see David do in this text. David, as I proposed to you, David was not where he needed to be when he walked out onto that roof and saw Bathsheba. This is not a David was living a godly life and following the Lord with all his heart. And oops, this temptation came up and everything fell apart. No, I have zeroed out that David was not where he needed to be with the Lord because David would have acted as we talked about a few podcasts back. He would have acted more like Joseph when he was tempted and he would have run away and he would have made sure that he got away from that temptation. But that is not the case with David. David was not where he needed to be spiritually and he made poor choices to abuse his power, take another man's wife, try to trick said man so that it would appear to be his child And then had Uriah, this good man, this good soldier, killed. David was rotten to the core inside. And at this point, he didn't see it. How many times in your life have you been rotten to the core but did not see it? It took some sort of major event to wake you up To realize just how far gone you were. I was thinking at the end of last week about someone. I'm being very careful with the details. But someone who was obviously in hindsight in a bad space. A bad head space. A bad emotional space. But the world didn't know it until the per- this person did deeds that would cause shivers. And it's like, then you go back and you're like, what happened? Where, where, did, where did all this go wrong? Like, what was going on? What, what did this person think? And I want you to think about the people who would have been around David. David sent servants. Number one, he asked servants who was this lady who was bathing on the roof. Then he sent servants to get her. How many people in his palace and the surrounding area knew about the deeds that David did? Multiple, no doubt about it. Joab his commander of his military, knew that David had Uriah killed. He's the one who made sure that it happened. There are so many people that were looking on and seeing David self-destructing. Did any of them try to intervene before Nathan? We don't know. That's part of the story that God chooses not to share with us. But as I'm I'm thinking through this, I'm really trying to think through this text differently than I ever have before. I just wonder how many people were praying for David. How many people saw what was going on and instead of gossiping about it, they were going to God on his behalf? Because the reason I think that it had to be happening that way is because of David's Response because here David is, you know, so puffed up with pride and with power. And you know, it, whenever Nathan tells him this story, like he's like, Bring this person to me, I'll have him killed. Like he's, <coughs> excuse me, he realizes he's got a lot of power. But in this moment, when God flips the script on him, and through Nathan, He hears, you are that man. Like, if we were to put this on the big screen, at that moment, you would have some sort of serious, dramatic change in the music. Like, David is stunned. He is shell-shocked. But if I didn't know the rest of the story, after what I had seen of David, and how he abused his power, how he... Connived to get Uriah killed, I would have thought that Nathan was dead. Like, I would have thought when Nathan said, You're the man, no matter what he followed that up with, David would have said, Off with your head, or something like that. But David does not. In verse 13, it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And the second part of that verse says, Nathan replied, Yes. But the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. And we will go into the rest of that next week. But I want to focus on David's response to the Spirit's conviction, to the words from Nathan, and what we see in Psalm 51. So I'm going to pause for just a moment and I've asked that you pray certain phrases from Psalm 51 in this upcoming week as your weekly assignment feature and I'm ask you to pray this. Lord, please create in me a clean heart and renew a loyal spirit within me. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And I pray that for each of us as we begin to walk our way through Psalm 51. And and not only do I want you to ask the Lord this very moment to create in you a clean heart and renew a loyal spirit within you. I ask that you would pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Is there anybody who doesn't know that by now? Pray that God would search you and know your heart, that He would test you and know your anxious thoughts, that He would point out any way in Him, in you that offends Him, and that He would lead you in the way of everlasting life. And if God does not impress upon you a specific sin in your life at this very moment, I ask you to take these verses and pray it for someone else. Pray it for someone that you know is not where they need to be with the Lord. You may not know all the specifics, but you know from their attitude. You know from the fact that they don't have the aroma of Christ coming out of them, but they have a smell that is definitely not the aroma of Christ. You know that there's something stinky going on. Pray Psalm 51 for them pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24 for them. I just wonder, because it does not tell us in the text one way or another, but I just wonder how many people were praying for David during this crucial period of time. Because I have to believe that there were some. Because David's response immediately was to fess up to what he did and to say, I have sinned against the Lord. How important it is to be praying for those who are not where they need to be with the Lord. We may be Nathan, and we may be the one that gets the opportunity to call him on the carpet. We talked when we went through that text the other week, We talked about how challenging that can be, but how important it is to be able to godly confront somebody. But it may be that your role is to knock, knock, knock on heaven's door, begging God to give the person you're concerned about a clean heart and a loyal spirit, to give them a spirit that is willing to obey. So let's walk down this. These are David's words. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. He starts out by recognizing who God is and pleading for God who is merciful, to be merciful upon him but he is acknowledging, I have sinned. He says in verse 2, Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. I've always wondered, and I still don't know, even from this text, exactly how much David was convinced of his sin before Nathan confronted him. We know that it was over nine months from when he committed the first of the obvious sins until Nathan confronted him. And I've just, you just wonder, Was he blindly walking around thinking that he was above the law at that point? Or was God working in his heart the entire time? And when he says, For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. You wonder if it haunted him before Nathan confronted him, or if it just haunted him after Nathan confronted him. We may not know that this side of heaven, But for those of us who have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside of us, when we sin, we are going to feel conviction. But if we continue to walk away and just keep trying to avoid that convicting, we may very well be able to walk far enough that we do not feel that conviction in the same manner. Verse 4, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your side. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And this does not mean that something was wrong about his conception. That's not what it's talking about. We're talking about the entire idea that we are born with the sin nature coming from Adam and Eve You know, starting out in the very beginning of time, you know, there are some people who want to argue that babies, you know, are not born with a sin nature, but like it doesn't take any time at all to see that they choose evil. Like you have to be trained to choose good. We, left to our own devices, are going to steal other kids' toys, We're going to slap other people. We're going to do those type of things because it's part of our nature. It says, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. One of the most amazing verses in all of scripture. Really, Psalm 51 is one of the Most memorized pieces of scripture, at least different parts of it, to purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. By this point, David has come to the conclusion that he can't clean himself up, which is where we all have to get. We all have to get to a place where we can't work our way back to God or we can't work our way to God initially. We've got to bring our filthiness to him and allow him to clean us from the inside out verse 8 oh give me back my joy again you have broken me now let me rejoice don't keep looking at my sins Rem- remove the stain of my guilt verse 10 the most most memorized and most popular verse in chapter 51 create in me a clean heart o god renew a loyal spirit within me David knew that he wasn't going to be cleaning up his own act. He knew that this was far beyond what he could just let me make these changes in my life. No, he needed God to transform his heart. The rebellion, the power hungriness, the lust, the possible greed, the hatred, the, whatever it might have been, he knew that he needed God to do a work. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You've got to remember that in this time, traditionally, the Spirit of God would have come upon somebody for a specific task, but would not live inside of them as those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But David. He had the spirit that stayed with him, but he, he knew that he had seen it with Saul. The spirit had come upon Saul, and then the spirit left Saul because Saul had made bad choices. And David's thinking, I just did the same exact thing. Please don't take your spirit from me. Twelve, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I somehow or another have missed this verse over the years, but I just love it. Like, I remember the first part. I don't remember the second part. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That I remember, but make me willing to obey you. It says, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. In other words, when you clean me up, when you restore to me the joy of your salvation, when you make me willing to obey you, then I... I'm going to be an ambassador for you, and I am going to teach others to return to you and to follow you. 14. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. 17 is another of my favorite verses in this chapter. So, burnt offerings were part of the sacrificial system of the old, Old Covenant. But remember back to Saul. What did Saul do? Saul and God had this interchange through the prophet, and Saul, instead of obeying God, which God had been very clear, this is what I want you to do. Instead, Saul kind of tried to make up his own map, and he says, but I I sacrificed, and there's that famous phrase in that interchange, to obey is better than sacrifice. And David, in this place in life, realized that. He wasn't trying to make amends for what he had done. He wasn't trying to do some sort of sacrifice. No, he was doing what is talked about in the New Testament, of making his body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's what David was saying. Like, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. David understood that God wanted all of him. He didn't want him to try to make amends and to do those type of things in order to redeem himself. He needed to hand his spirit over to God and let God then restore him from the inside out. And then the last two verses, some people have thought that these might have been added on by somebody besides David. Or maybe it was David because this is more of a corporate worship ending. It says, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. As I was preparing for this, I uh, had something happen. And it's something that hurt my heart. And something that really, I, I know beyond a shadow of doubt, that God allowed me to be reminded of right before I recorded. So, Psalm 51 is traditionally thought of as a personal call of David, a call of repentance to God and of the sins that he's committed, a restoring of his heart and life to God and to God's purposes and his willingness to move forward with this clean hand, clean hand, clean heart, hopefully clean hands and to to honor God with his life. But what God revealed to me and reminded me is These verses can be prayed for another. So I have this person in my life who is not in a good way. I do not know all the details of where this person stands with the Lord. I just know that they are not standing on their knees. I know that when I interact with them i i am not reminded this person has been with jesus there is not the aroma of christ around them at this point do they have christ in their heart absolutely positively but they're not in a good place just like i have to believe the people who were around david knew and maybe long before the bathsheba situation Like, David may have begun to smell long before the sins became so public. But I want to take David's heartfelt prayer and and song and pray some of these verses for this person that I care about. And I challenge you. To think about people around you. Who is it that you can pray for them along with me? So, for instance, in verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. I'm going to pray that God will have mercy on this person because of God's unfailing love. And that because of God's great compassion, He will blot out the stain of this person's sins if they will just come to Him. Verse 2 I pray that God will wash this person clean from their guilt and purify them from all sin. I pray that they will recognize the rebellion and I pray that this rebellion will haunt them day and night until they come to a place where. They know that, as Isaiah said, they are a man or woman of unclean lips and they live amongst the people of unclean lips when they see their sin. Verse four, I pray that they will realize that against God and God alone have they sinned. Even if they have harmed others in the process, the primary sin was against God. I pray that they know that they've done what is evil in God's side. I pray that God will show himself to, like, his case be proven right. And I pray this person will realize that God's judgment against them is just and right. I pray that they will know that they were born a sinner from the moment that their mother conceived them. And that God does desire honesty from the womb and that God will teach them wisdom each of the days of their life. I pray that God would purify this person from their sin and that they will be clean, that they will be washed and be whiter than snow. I pray that God would give them back the joy again. I pray that as they are broken, that they they have a broken spirit. In front of God, I pray that they would one day rejoice. I pray that the sin that they seem to be oblivious of in their life, I pray, dear God, that you would convict them. And I pray that as they come to you begging for mercy, that you would remove the stain of their guilt. I pray that you would create in them a clean heart and that you would renew a loyal spirit within them. I pray that you would not banish them from their. Your presence, and dear God, I know that You will not take Your Holy Spirit with from them because Your Holy Spirit has residence in their heart. I just pray, dear God, that Your Holy Spirit would have more room to do what He wants to do in them. I pray, dear God, that You would restore to this person the joy of salvation, and that You would make them willing to obey You in all ways. I pray that they would then have opportunity and be willing to teach ways to rebels so that they would return to you. I pray, dear Father, that they would joyfully sing of your forgiveness, that you would unseal their lips, that their mouth may praise you again. Dear God, you do not desire a sacrifice. You do not desire burnt offering. But the sacrifice you want is a broken spirit and I pray that they would bring that broken spirit to you because you will not you will not reject a broken and repentant heart and I pray all this in Jesus holy and precious name amen so I don't know if you prayed that along with me but I just I feel very 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 compelled to pray this for somebody These words that David poured out, I'm guessing with buckets of tears, because he had come face to face with just how dark he had become and how his darkness had harmed others. I pray that God would create in you a clean heart and that he would renew a loyal spirit within you. But I also pray that you would pray this on behalf of others. I would love for you to reach out to me at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com and just let me know how God used this in your life and maybe who you're praying for. And maybe I can join you in prayer for that person. You can reach out to me on social media. Facebook group is Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. And on Instagram as well. You can go back in our show notes and you can get to the hidden episodes. That's the first 50 episodes of this podcast. We're on 187. And I see 200 in sight. And it just just amazes me. What I'm going to do for the 200th one, I have no clue. I just know I, I plan to keep going because God uses this each week to work in me. I'm trusting that he's doing something in others, but I know what he does in me when I turn on this microphone and as I prep for this each and every week. I'm just trusting God with the results. I I open his word, I share his word, I point you to his word. And he, the living word, may he do an incredible work in you. May he search you and know your heart. May he test you and know your anxious thoughts. May he point out any way in you that offends him and that he will lead you in the way of everlasting life. And then cause you to lead others in that way thank you so much for tuning in remember it's free for you to listen to this but it's also free for you to share with others you can also rate us on the different podcast platforms and join me again next week as we continue this story as we look at david and how he pours himself out on behalf of his son despite what god had told him it's, a, it's one of those challenging lessons, but it also has a spark of hope in it as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Invite others to join along with us. And remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.